Good morning, everyone. Today we cover the books of Jeremiah and Lamentations. Jeremiah and Lamentations, I might sum up as serving well in failure and decline. Serving well during failure and decline. Isn't that an exciting place to be? Would you like to be part of something that's just on the downhill? Something that's just declining? Maybe you like to get the kind of employment where you go and close up a company that is on its way out. Close down all their accounts. Have you done it well? Or maybe you became the coach of a team that was past its prime and through no fault of your own, their players were just not what they were 10 years ago and you're now coaching in this declining era. Jeremiah, that was his call. It's thought that Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations as well. We're going to spend a little bit of time on that and then most of our time on the book of Jeremiah itself. I think we should have a PowerPoint up here. Jeremiah is the longest of the prophetic books. Less chapters than Isaiah, but a lot more words. It's a lot of content. He was prophesying during the time of destruction when Babylon was coming in after the Assyrians had already been hammering away on Israel for quite some time. And he was there during the final deportation and exile, but did not go with the exiles. He was able to stay behind. Lamentations, five poems, five poems of lament expressing sorrow to the Lord. Just a few words about Lamentations, and we're going to move into uh, the book of Jeremiah. Lamentations is five poems of lament. Four of them are an acrostic from the Hebrew 22-letter uh, Hebrew alphabet, one of them using the letters three times each to make a three times as long poem. But these laments are expressing the misery of the city of Jerusalem, the people who are living through the horror of war, expressing the destruction and the wrath of God and naming it as it is in all of its horrible judgment. There's poetry that is accepting the judgment of God. We deserve it. We understand why this is happening. You are righteous, God, in spite of all of that we're seeing right now. Expressing the trauma that the people are going through, the dehumanization that happens to the point of mothers eating their children for lunch, the horrors that they experienced in the worst of the siege and a call on God, a plea for God to come and see the trouble, to come and do something about it, to come and restore our land. And when we read the book of Lamentations, we might wonder, how is this relevant? Unless, of course, at this season in your life you feel abandoned, and then it's very relevant. If at this season in your life you're going through extreme suffering, Somebody has put your words down in black and white. Somebody has said it's okay to express to God how you really feel. Or we read the book of Lamentations and we might identify with the horrors of war that are going on around our world that we hear about on the news, that we see here and there, and we think, how can a good God let this happen? Where is God in the midst of all of this wickedness? And the book of Lamentations gives us words 
to make sense of all of that while at the same time acknowledging God is righteous. He is just. Human suffering is somewhere at the end of human brokenness. It's a result of our sin. We live in a broken world, but we don't, we don't see God at fault in that. We can read this in the light of Jesus, knowing that it's not the end of the story. That the end of the story is a promise of someday there's no more tears and no more mourning and no more pain. Someday the hope that we have will be fulfilled. And we read it in, that, in those eyes. The book of Lamentations. The book of Jeremiah. I want to cover the content with, as I said, it's the longest of the Old Testament prophets. We can't dip into everything. But we'll pull out six teachings along the way. You'll see a lot of scripture on the screen. And then we'll make some observations and applications at the end to our own life. But as we go through what his word was to Israel, just allow God's word to impact you, to just experience it, to just experience what it says about God, what it says about people, and we'll look at a number of things along the way. When we read the book of Jeremiah, we're actually not reading a chronological order, but it's a compilation of a bunch of collections of his writings. Collection A, collection B, collection C. Jeremiah wrote this stuff. Jeremiah wrote this stuff. Oh, he wrote this stuff. Half of it's poetry. Jeremiah is more personal than any of the other prophets. We learn something about the other prophets, but with Jeremiah, we hear his feelings, his lament. He's sometimes called the weeping, suffering prophet. And we get to see how he felt during it all. Jeremiah served during 40 years of ministry during the last five kings of Judah. He served in Jerusalem during its destruction. He began in the 13th year of the good King Josiah, the one that actually had a lot of reforms and was much loved. The, the history that we're reading now is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 24 as well as 2 Chronicles chapter 36. In those time periods, you read the same stories about these same kings in a little bit different perspective from what those writers were saying as they wrote down the history. So Jeremiah's call, chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord reached out his hand and touched his mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. And then it begins with the things that God spoke to him. Jeremiah served during a time when Jerusalem was pulled back and forth between the superpowers of Egypt and Babylon. Egypt and Babylon 
fighting for territory, sometimes here, sometimes there. Josiah was actually killed by Egypt. He marched out against him when Egypt wasn't even trying to make war on him, but he had a battle anyway, and he got killed in the midst of it. His son Jehoahaz took his place because Pharaoh Necho of Egypt installed him. I'm sorry, because the people installed him, Pharaoh Necho took him out and put his brother in instead. His name was Jehoiakim. When we read these names, they're not always going to match up with kings and chronicles because sometimes the Hebrew name is used and sometimes the Babylon name is used. And so the same name gets, or the same person gets their name changed and you don't always know which one you're reading about unless you put all the pieces together. Um, after Jehoiakim comes Jehoiachin. He was young, he was there for three months, and he surrendered. He says, ah, forget this. And he went off to Babylon along with 8,000 of the best. The nobles, the artisans, the skilled workers, they all got deported. And then the king of Babylon installed his uncle, Zedekiah, as the king. And a lot of Jeremiah's story is interacting with King Zedekiah, um, who, although he was installed by the king of Babylon, decided to rebel. And there was always this hope that maybe Egypt's going to come and help us and we'll be part of them instead of part of the other guys. But it did not go well. Eventually, uh, Zedekiah is deported to at the very end of the fall of Jerusalem. And Babylon puts in Gedaliah as governor, who shortly after is assassinated by some guy named Ishmael, who said that he's of royal blood and he should be blood and he should be king instead. And then all the final people who hadn't been taken captive, the poor of the land who were left behind, including Jeremiah and his friend Baruch, they all fled to Egypt, even though Jeremiah said, no, 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 don't do that. We got to serve Babylon. Don't do that. God won't bless us. But they went anyway and they took Jeremiah with him off to Egypt and he had more prophetic words in that place. So a lot of history in 40 years and we won't cover it all, but that's an outline. The teachings... We're just going to dabble in six teachings of Jeremiah. As we read through, there's these themes that come up. First of all is the sins of the nation will be judged. That theme comes throughout, not just the sin of Israel, but actually many nations towards the end of the book are mentioned. Israel judged because of the sins of their kings, the priests, the sins of Manasseh, the idol worship that had gone on, the uh, social injustice that was evident, and God had already been bringing judgment through the Assyrians, and now it was coming through the Babylonians in the final days. So the sins of the nation. Number two, as we read Jeremiah, we see the reasons for God's judgment. God is not one who just heavy-handedly, heavy-handed um, makes life difficult and doesn't tell them why. He doesn't just say, I'm going to punish you, but he tells them why they're being punished. And he spells it out for them. Here's an example. Of course, these examples are coming out of the covenant that they are in, which is the Deuteronomy covenant of, if you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're going to have trouble. And that was the covenant, the Obedience had to be there in order to be blessed. And so under that covenant, uh, chapter 5, we read, Go down to the streets of Jerusalem, look around and consider, search through the squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, I will forgive this city. As surely as the Lord lives, they say, but still they are swearing falsely. Why should I forgive you? 
your children have forsaken me and have sworn by other gods that are not gods. I supplied all your needs, and yet you committed adultery and thronged the houses of prostitutes. Verse 15, people of Israel, declares the Lord, I'm bringing a distant nation against you, an ancient, enduring nation, a people whose language you do not know, whose speech you do not understand. Their quivers are like an open grave, and all of them are mighty warriors. They will devour your harvest and your food. They will devour your sons and your daughters. They will devour your flocks and your herds, your vines and your figs. With the sword they will devour the fortified cities in which you trust. God gives his reasons for judgment. The people have gone away from him. The people have followed other gods. They have walked in sinful actions. Number three, we read Jeremiah, and we see this theme about what is true religion and false religion. True religion is godly action, not just words. And so we have this example from chapter 7. Here we see the people of Israel with an outward religiosity. They love going to the temple to worship, but their actions didn't follow. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house, proclaim the message, hear the word of the Lord, you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship. Verse 3, this is what the Lord Almighty says, the God of Israel, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. Don't trust in deceptive in deceptive words and say, oh, this is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple. This is the temple. And this was a theme throughout their culture that because they had the temple of Solomon, it was like a good luck charm. They were safe. They had their duties that they did. They had their religious outward appearance that they were part of. But on the side, they also had their other gods and the other things they trust in and their practices of injustice. Verse 5, If you change your ways and actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, if you do not shed innocent blood in this place, if you don't follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, the land I gave to your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive and worthless words. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house that bears my name and say we are safe? Safe to do all these detestable things? And this is God's question to his people. Has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. You might recognize that Jesus quoted that passage later, den of robbers. Number four, we see in the book of Jeremiah a theme of the people themselves cannot change. Actually, we can't change ourselves. We're beyond help without God's help. Here's one from Jeremiah chapter 13. Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Or can a leopard change his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. You're no more able to change your ways than a leopard is able to change his spots. Chapter 17. 
The heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds have done. And so we see that throughout the book of Jeremiah, the inability of humans to fix themselves. And yet the judgment of God is coming because of their sinful actions. Then we have the book of comfort, it's sometimes called, chapters 30 to 33 of Jeremiah. In the midst of all of this prophecy of destruction, war, exile, comes the chapters of future restoration. The Savior, that will, the Messiah, who will change the heart. The time that God will actually be able to be fellowshipping with his people again. Jeremiah 31, verse, 30, verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. I'm going to make a new covenant, not the one in Deuteronomy when we came out of Egypt and said, if you obey me, you live, and if you disobey, no, there's something different coming. A new covenant... Verse 33, I will make at that time, I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's the amazing time that we live in now, where we don't just have an outward obedience, but the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder, speaks to us in the heart, puts his knowledge in our mind, works in our conscience, gives us a new heart that is like his, a desire to be like him. We live in such a privileged time because God has written these things on our heart and mind. Chapter 33. Nevertheless, I will bring health and healing to it. I will heal my people. I will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity. I will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin that they have committed against me. I will forgive their sins of rebellion against me. This city, I love this part, this city will bring me renowned joy, praise, and honor before all nations that hear of the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and they will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I will provide for it. God will be praised his people will bring him the praises of joy as all the nations see, oh my goodness, why are they blessed so much? Wow, their God takes care of them. And this wonderful promise in the three chapters in the middle of the book about the restoration of God. Number six, when we read Jeremiah, we can't help but be struck by the advice of how do you live under judgment. Now, that's an interesting concept. How do you live successfully as a follower of God when you're in the declining nation around you that is being judged? And so we see a couple of examples, <clears throat> and there are many that we don't have time for. Jeremiah 21, the people are told, this is what the Lord says, See, I'm setting before you the way of life and the way of death. 
Whoever stays in this city will die by the sword, famine, or plague. But whoever goes out and surrenders to the Babylonians who are besieging you, they will live and they will escape with their life. I have determined to do this city harm and not good, declares the Lord. It will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon and he will destroy it with fire. Isn't that a wonderful result for the church prayer meeting? Dear God, the nation is invading our land. The tanks are about to send shells our way. The armies are going to invade. The bombers are going to bomb us. Dear God, would you save Vancouver? And the Lord says, hey, it's going to happen anyway. If you believe me, go to the other side. Just go to the conquering nation and I will take care of you. That advice came to the people and that advice came to King Zedekiah. Zedekiah, it's too late. You need to surrender. But he wouldn't. Imagine, though, Jeremiah speaking these words of advice in the nation that's being attacked. He was thought to be a traitor. How dare you encourage the people to go serve the Babylonians? We need to stand for our rights. God's going to deliver us. We have the temple. We have the altar. We have the sacrifices. What kind of heretic is this? But that was the advice that God gave. And then to the 8,000 who had already gone into exile, Daniel and his friends and the others who had gone at the time of uh, King Jehoiachim, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, let them have children, increase it there, don't decrease, seek the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. Because I've carried you into exile there, pray for the Lord to it, because if it prospers, you will prosper also. In the land of your exile, ask for prosperity. Jeremiah prophesies 70 years of captivity, famously picked up by the future prophets when the time of uh, captivity was finished. Chapter 25, the whole land will become desolate and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, and I will make it desolate forever. Whoa! Jeremiah was actually favored by the Babylonians. When Nebuchadnezzar came at the final time, he actually helped Jeremiah and said, do you want to come with me? I'll take care of you. Or do you want to stay here and I'll ask the governor to take care of you? He was honored by the conquering king of Babylon. And yet, in spite of that, he still had to tell the Babylonians, someday God's going to judge you guys too. You guys went too far. God used you, but you're kind of messed up yourself, and your turn's coming. And their kingdom fell as well, but much later, and in other people's lifetimes. You know, we read these in such a long history. You think about how many people at the beginning of this were 60 or 70 and didn't live through this final. How many were little kids and wound up in Babylon, and they never came back with rebuilding later, but we read all of this, we put it together, and it gives us a picture of many generations. But which of those generations am I? Are you? 
where is God speaking to me at this time in history, in my life, and his plan in my nation? Jeremiah is more personal than any of the other prophets. We get to see what's going on. He's disowned by his home village, about an hour's walk outside of Jerusalem. He uh, is arrested sometimes. He's imprisoned. Then he's confined in the courtyard of the guard. He has threats on his life. Uh, They want to kill him, but then he has friends in the government who want to protect him. And he's thrown into a cistern in a big mud hole to starve and to sink. But then some Cushite guy rescues him and helps him out. Jeremiah went through a lot, and we see his laments. We see his honest emotions. Somebody's phone is going off. It sounds very beautiful right now. That's a lovely ringtone. We need that in the midst of all this destruction and grief that we're reading about. And as Jeremiah experiences these things himself, it's not easy. He might be a righteous, wonderful prophet, but it was not easy. And what's beautiful about Jeremiah is he tells us what he's thinking. And like many of the Psalms of Lament, we read things like this, chapter 12, verse 1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak about your justice. I know you're right, God, but I don't actually know if you're just. This, this isn't fair, God. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? God, the Babylonians are a bunch of idiots. Why are they going to have a good life? Egypt, too. Why are they blessed? Why do all the faithless people live at ease? Chapter 15. And There's these long passages. You have to read the whole thing to get the gist of it. Lord, you understand. Remember me. Care for me. Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Lord, don't take me away. Think of how I suffer reproach for your sake. Chapter 17. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, Lord, and I will be saved. For you alone are the one that I praise. They keep saying to me, where's the word of the Lord? Let it now be fulfilled. I have not run away from being your shepherd. You know I've not desired the day of despair. What passes my lips is open before you. Jeremiah laments, and yet he ends his lament with faith. Here's an example from chapter 20. He starts out with these horrible feelings. You have deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You have overpowered me. You have prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everybody mocks me. When I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. And so the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. And he goes on for a bunch more verses, and then he ends up with, Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, Let me see your vengeance on them, for I have, for to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. We see this up and down of Jeremiah. He's going through the worst situations. His life's endangered, he's being persecuted, 
He feels it emotionally. It's, in, it's unjust. And yet he has this faith that God knows what he's doing. I can wait for God. He's my deliverer. And so as we think of the book of Jeremiah, how do we apply it to our living today? What are some observations we make? First of all, we might say that God is sovereign. Oops, I lost one set of notes here. <clears throat> God is sovereign. God works through the nations to turn people's hearts to him. Think about the work of God through the nations. Right now we're watching Russia and Ukraine wondering what's going to happen. Does God see? Yeah, he sees. Can we predict what's going to happen? Not unless God appointed you a prophet to the nations. But maybe. I don't know. But I do know that God is sovereign. I don't know what's going to happen there, but God is sovereign. We see that God does display his anger and his wrath. And yet when he does so, he comes through with purity and justice. When we read the book of Jeremiah, there is a lot of emotion from God. And yet he's also seen with justice and purity. His goodness is evident. It's evident in the midst of all of his judgment that he deeply loves his people. He's so longing for them to represent him in their actions, not just in their words. He disciplines them, hoping that they will change, wanting them to be known as representatives of him, not as those who trust in idols, are sexually immoral, just like the world around, taking selfish advantage of the poor, no regard for the foreigner. He wants his people to be holy as he is holy. He's looking for them to change. And we see as in the midst of this that God does take care of his servants while they endure. Jeremiah, Baruch, and others, the faithful remnant who were there, endured. Previous prophets spoke the same thing and were killed. And God took care of them in their death. Do you like that idea? Jeremiah, we have a lot of his words because he kept living and he had a scribe to write them down. But he tells us that other prophets said the same thing. We don't have their scribe and they died. But we have the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a hero to us, an example of courage in the face of adversity, an example of faithful ministry. He was chosen for a purpose, and he accepted that purpose and dedicated his life to follow and to walk out what God had called him for at a young age. He continued to speak for God regardless of what was popular. Think about that right now in our history. We are called to speak for God regardless of what is popular. I was always impressed by the story of Billy Graham who was being interviewed by Larry King on some evening show and got to talking about sin and sexuality and different things. And Larry King says, Mr. Graham, are you saying that I'm going to hell? And Billy Graham says, oh, no, sir. I would never say you're going to hell. God's word tells you that, not me. 
And it was a very humble way of saying, I have no judgment on you. I'm just God's messenger. I'm not the one to judge you, but there is a judge and I'm his messenger. Oh no, I would never tell you that. God's word tells you that. This is what Jeremiah was doing. He was passing on the word of the Lord. He was selfless because of his call. God said it was better for him to not get married and not have children because the city he was going to be in was going to go down in flames. It's not a great place to raise your family, so just serve me as a single person. And Jeremiah did. And God cared for him and looked after him. Faithful serving in a time of decline. I want to just end by reminding us of how we can live to God's glory regardless of our circumstance. Here's a couple of thoughts. Confidently serving God in failure and decline. How do you confidently serve God if you're in a nation that's declining or any other situation that's declining? One, we remember the historical goodness of God. Two, we're aware of God with us present. And three, we're confident in his promise of the future. This is how Jeremiah lived. He knew the history of the good God who was just and right. He experienced God with him in his suffering. And he had confidence in the future. That's an example that we can follow. You can't change your circumstance, but you can live to God's glory in your circumstance. Not just the nation of Canada. Your personal life, your employment life, your education life, your health. Many different situations around you that can change that were not what you would have envisioned as a 20-year-old. Not the life that you chose for yourself. And yet, you can be confident the good God who historically has made himself known is with me now and I trust his promises. That you can do in any circumstance. Another key is your success is measured by your obedience, not response or situations. Your success is to be measured by your obedience, not the response of others or the changing of a situation. That's not the world we live in. We, we have performance reviews, evaluations. We have set goals. And then we measure how well we're doing on these goals. We have strategies to fulfill them. We talk about whether or not we're meeting our targets. We set out the future and say, if we achieve these things, we've done good. We can pat ourselves on the back. We can be esteemed. We can be respected because we have achieved these things. That is not the case for Jeremiah. And it's not the case in reality for you and I. The true measure of success is, have I been a faithful messenger of God? And Jeremiah was a faithful messenger of God, and his nation did not change. He did have some times of hope. There was a time 
when all the people said, let's give freedom to our slaves. We shouldn't have slaves. But then they changed their mind after the revival and they went back and had their slaves again. There was a time when a group of people went to the king and said, he's right, he's right. Let's do like Josiah did. Let's reform. Let's change our ways. That's what Josiah did. He repented. And King Zedekiah wouldn't listen, and he burned the scroll in the fire one page after the other. Jeremiah had some success of changing culture, affecting his audience. But in the end, those standards were all failures. His success was being a true ambassador, a messenger. The question is, how well have I communicated for God? Not did they respond. The question is, have I communicated for God what's true and with his heart and attitude? We see as Jeremiah communicates the heart and attitude, not just the words. There's deep emotion. There's pleading with the people, and there's anger and judgment. Both are there. But he's being true to God's heart and God's communication. God is looking for the audience to have surrendered hearts, not just external control. I want to emphasize this a little bit. Sometimes in our nation, we see moral decline, and we want to petition the nation or lobby the government, and we should. How we lobby can be instructed by Jeremiah. We need to say to our government, this is truth. But we need not take responsibility to band together and control the culture. We're looking for a change of heart. And so we want to speak truth to government. We, we hope that they will change things. We wish the Liberal Party wouldn't demand that you have to be pro-abortion to be in their party. We wish that parents were allowed to teach their kids about sexuality without fear of going to prison right now. Those are big issues in our government the last couple of years. However, we might be living in a time like Jeremiah where it's not going to change. And if that's the case, we have not failed as his spokesperson. We have not failed as his messenger. He will be true even if there's only a remnant that believes it. And we will experience the downward spiral of a nation. We will experience the increase of crime. We will experience the anarchy. And we will experience the moral failure around us. And it will impact our children and our lives a lot. And yet, you can serve well with a quiet joy of the Lord in your heart, knowing that God is with me, He's good, and His promises are my blessing and fulfillment in the future. I might endure any kind of circumstance in this life, I might endure it with much sorrow and pain. I might not feel yippy-skippy happy. I might carry a sadness with me at all times, as most of us do. We do, don't we? And yet we can do that faithful, trusting God, true to His Word, true in what we speak, proclaiming what is right, not knowing the result and have the security of God is with me, and I know the future is good. God bless you.